0: are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. So today I am going to be speaking on the holiness of God. But before I do, i got a bunch of family here this weekend because um, my kids' birthdays are always here. So I'm trying to be the cool uncle. And I tell my nephew, hey, we should try snowboarding because we did the night tubing at Ski Hill last night. And he's like, no, nah, I tried it once. It wasn't great. And I'm like, oh, they got a, they got a bunny hill. We'll get up there. It'll be awesome. So I talked him into it. And uh, so we get there, and we fall down the hill a couple of times, and one of his binding breaks. So we go back inside for a little repair work and Val the lady that she's kind of the ops manager out there she's like there's not much going on and she sends one of the snowboard trainers out with us and she actually shows us what we're doing and it's awesome and and it was very enjoyable and we're doing well so then we're like we can take the chairlift now so we take the chairlift to the top and and we did okay I'll be honest with you we did okay that's not the funny part Um, (laughs) the funny part was when we were done because it's only two hours two and a half hours max if you do the night thing at the ski hill and then they shut it down Walking out to the vehicle, I started to notice there's muscles right here that I don't use sitting in a chair. By the time I get back to the house, it's like, oh, okay. And I would stand up. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm like, you know what? I have to preach tomorrow. I'm going to be up at the front. Like, okay, people, you listen here. But praise the Lord, I'm okay. I can stand up. Stand up straight today. <laughs> that has nothing to do with my sermon. <clears throat> okay. The iPad is not working. Oh, well. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is here with us at church today. And I just pray that it will be your words that go out today, Lord, and open hearts to receive them. Amen. Okay, thank you. So Lance called me about a month ago and said, hey, can you preach in February? And I'm like, yeah, gung-ho. He said, can you preach on holiness? And yeah, I was gung-ho until I started to study the topic and get ready. And and the whole thing Lance has been working through um, is that book, The Great and Beautiful God by James Brian Smith. And it goes through the attributes of God one by one by one through the book. And this week's attributes is the holiness of God. And so I started to study it and I read the chapter and read some other stuff and it turns out this is, this is a much, much harder topic than I ever thought it was going to be because if you preach this wrong, you end up with a very negative view of God, a very angry view of God. So I was like, how do I compare and contrast the holiness of God with the grace of God? So start just with a little bit of definition. What is holiness? It can mean many things. Um, the basic meaning, though, is simply set apart. So in Exodus 3, 5, when God says to Moses, take off your shoes for where you stand is holy ground. That is ground that is set apart for a specific purpose. That's the basic definition. Something that's more of a, a concept than an actual definition is just simply the otherness of God. When we say God is holy, we are saying that he is other. There's us and there's God. God is completely separate from what we are. It can also mean worthy of great respect or veneration. So I want to tackle a few false narratives before we get very far because it's really, really hard to find a balanced view of God outside the church and sometimes even inside the church. And the problem is people tend to take one attribute of God and then they emphasize it and it leads to a distortion of who God actually is. And so I wanted to tackle a couple of those. On the left we have angry God and on the right we have only loving God. Those are the the two pictures and what they're supposed to represent. So false narrative number one. God is wrathful and angry all of the time because he is holy and the world is not. Well, it is true that he is holy and the world is not. That's not the only part of God that we need to talk about. And if you look back into history, the reason I had Zeus on the prior slide off to the left there was just simply to represent one people's attempt to explain the world. So they looked around them and they saw, basically answer the question, I guess, why do bad things happen to good people? because there would be a flood, there would be other disasters and that kind of stuff, and there wasn't really any rhyme or reason to them that they could see. So they came up with the best explanation they could, which was that there was a group of gods in the sky, and they weren't nice, they were angry most of the time, and when they were angry, they would smite the people below them. When they were in a good mood, good things would happen, but usually they were angry. That was their way to explain that. And, you know what, if you read the Old Testament, you can see examples of God's wrath, and they're terrifying. There's several times where the earth opens up and literally swallows people as a consequence of their sin. So you can see there's that scary side of things. But once again, that's not the only thing God ever did, right? God also sent his only son to save us. And that is not the act of an only vengeful God, but the act of a loving God who wants to save us all. False narrative number two. God is a cosmic, benevolent spirit who never judges, does not punish sin, and sends no one to hell with the possible exception of people like Hitler and that kind of thing. He'll send those people to hell, but nobody else, because we're trying hard, right? Once again, that goes to the distortion on the other side. But there's verses in the Bible that say things like, this is Romans 8.39, neither height nor depth nor any other thing will separate us from the love of God. It, It goes on, that's a paraphrased version of it. But God is not only love. God is love, but God is not only love. So how does that balance off? The thing is, if you're a parent and you see your kid doing something wrong, then you want to stop them from doing it wrong because it's going to hurt them. And that's what sin is. Sin is us doing something wrong. The problem with sin is it's usually short-term fun, long-term consequences, right? So things like drinking and gambling, overeating, it's a lot of fun while you're doing it, but then there's the consequences afterwards that you have to deal with. Those are just a few extreme examples. All sin at the end of the day is detrimental to our being. So God doesn't want us to do that. So he will resist sin. So if we take the example of the cosmic, loving, benevolent spirit, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible loves us so much, he's willing to discipline us when we sin. So the fact is, God does love us no matter what. But he is also a just God. That's Okay? Um, I want to take a look at the holiness of God in the Bible and a few examples of when God shows up in his manifest presence and what happens to people when that happens. So the first example, the story of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 19 and 20. So they're out of Egypt now. They've gone across the desert. They arrive at the mountain of God. Okay, And God tells Moses, he's like, you need to tell the people that my presence is going to descend on the mountain and it will be holy and if they touch it, they will surely die. And so Moses tells the people, they're like, okay, well, then it actually happens. And when the presence of God descended on the mountain, it says the earth shook, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was the sound of the great trumpet, and the people fell back in fear. So when God's presence actually showed up, it was such a violent event that the people were terrified. So they said to Moses, okay, you go talk to God, and then come back and tell us what he said. And so that's what happened, because they were so scared when God showed up. And of course, from that, while Moses was on the mountain talking to God, that's when the calf... The calf event happens, and there's actually a ground opening up and swallowing example right there, speaking of the wrath of God. Um, Another example of holiness in the Bible, and this is shortly thereafter, once, um, once that happens, Moses says, bring me your gold and your jewelry that you took from Egypt, and they make the Ark of the Covenant, and they make the first temple that they take with them from time to time, and inside the temple was the Holy of Holies, and the high priest in the Ark of the Covenant, stayed in there. And the high priest could only go in there once a year. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in and burn incense as an offering for their sins. But the thing is, in order for a person to be in the presence of God, because what happened that day is the presence of God would descend and sit between the cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant, in order for the high priest to be able to go in there, he had to go through this incredible cleansing process because if he had any sin in him, When he went into there, they knew he would be struck dead instantly. And so they had to go through this process in order to be ready. And it was quite lengthy. He had all these ritual cleansings. He did sacrifices for himself, sacrifices for the people. And then the last night, they actually kept him up all night and read him the law just in case he had a dream that was sinful. So he couldn't have that dream on him. Then he would put blood on his earlobes and on his toes to simulate death. And then he would finally go into the presence of God. The good news is Hebrews 4.16 says we can now have Jesus as our advocate so we can approach the throne boldly. No, it doesn't say that. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in help of time of need. Sorry about that. I was like, man, that makes no sense. I don't remember it saying that before. Um, the beauty is we can approach God now. Since the sacrifice of Jesus, we don't have to go through these these atoning rituals and all that other stuff. We can talk to God whenever we want. The presence of God is here in this building this morning with us as we worship. The third example I have um, is from Isaiah 6. And uh, that there was king, uh, the king was King Uzziah, and he was a really, really good king. At the start of his kingship, and things went really, really well, and he started to think that it was his fault. That things were going really well, and he became proud. And he went into the temple, and he burnt incense. And the priest said, don't do it. That's for the priests only. That's not for you as the king. And he did it anyway, and he was immediately struck with leprosy. And he lived another 12 years after that, but it wasn't a good time for Israel. So then in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah writes, I entered the temple. And he saw the Lord God high on a throne, and his train filled the temple. And he collapses and says, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. And we, we use the term, woe is me, like, you know, my car broke down. Woe is me. You know, I stubbed my toe. Woe is me. When, when Isaiah is saying, woe is me, he says, woe is me, for I am undone. So in that moment, he had nothing left of him in the presence of the Almighty God. So we can see this common theme of fear when God shows up in his manifest presence. So why is that? And I think it's, it's really nothing more than God's holiness in the presence of sinful man. When something that pure and that holy comes close to the sin in our lives, we, can't, we just can't handle it. It's so scary, but you just start to fall back in fear. And I think in Western society, we've actually lost that fear of God. And there's a few reasons for it. And I, I don't think it's necessarily all bad what's happened, but we've taken it too far. And I think some of it has to do with a better understanding of grace. Um, If you looked at church 100 years ago, it was a lot more legalistic than it is now. And that legalism was originally born out of the desire to be righteous. But when we take God's ideas and put our rules around it, it can often turn into legalism, which isn't what we're going for. And so the response to that was understanding the grace message better, that God does love us. That our sins can be forgiven, that He's not waiting in heaven to smite us with a bolt of lightning the next time we sin. And it's beautiful. I love grace. Grace changed my life. The problem is we take it too far, right? We get to the point, so, and it's so always say you're newly saved, right? People tell you, God will forgive your sins, past, present, and future. It's like, okay, so you're telling me, no matter what I do that's bad, God will forgive me. Yep. It's like, well, hallelujah, I can do whatever I want, right? No holds barred. I can sin whenever I want to go to church on Sunday, ask for forgiveness, and everything's good. And that is not what grace is. And part of the problem is people have equated forgiveness with an apology rather than repentance, right? Right? So when you say, I'm sorry, that's an apology. The word repent has a much bigger meaning to it. It means you were headed in this direction towards sin. You stop, you turn 180 degrees and head the other direction away from sin. That is repentance. That is what God will forgive. That is an understanding of grace that we need. So in in Jesus' time, Jewish people would not even write the name of God. That was how they viewed the name of God. It was so holy, it could not be written, it could not be said. And even I read an article when I was preparing for this by a Jewish rabbi in New York, and he wouldn't write God in the article. He wrote G-D in the article because they still, if you're an Orthodox Jew, they still hold that view that they can't write the name of God. It's too holy. So how do we balance that holiness of God with the grace view of God where we can approach the throne, we can talk to God like he's our father and say things that the Orthodox Jew wouldn't even consider saying? And I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of it has to do with where we're at in our lives. So If you think back to when you were a kid, I'm going to go back to the father metaphor because it's in the Bible and it's an appropriate metaphor to use. When you were a kid, okay, and you get home from school and dad's still at work and you're misbehaving and your mother says, you go wait in your room for your father, right? When dad comes home in that situation, dad is big and terrible and scary. But if you get home from school and you play nice with your kids, or your kids, your siblings, And you're helping your mother out. When dad gets home, he's the big loving father that scoops you up in his arms and tells you how wonderful you are. So I think really a lot of someone's view of God has to do with where they're at in their life. So moving on from information to application, because I strongly believe that information is useless without application. And I really like this book. Um, Lance is right. It's got a lot of wonderful things in it. But in each chapter, he goes through the information And then he has a section called soul training. And in the soul training section, it goes through, okay, we've studied this attribute of God. Now, how is it going to change your life? How is this new information going to change your life? And so in this section, um, it's called margin. Margin is technically defined as the blank space around the edge of the document. So you can even see it on the screen there. That's, That's technically what margin is. But for the purposes of this discussion, margin is the time we have set aside for rest, prayer, and family time. And it's based on a book written by a doctor um, entitled Margin. And so he was seeing the effects of long-term stress on his patients. And he kept telling them, he said, look, you guys need to pull back. You're doing too much. Your body can only live in this state for so long before it crashes. And if you've ever been through, when your body crashes, it's bad. It causes depression. You can't get out of bed and all this other stuff. And it comes from the fact that there's only so many hormones in your body. And if you use them all up and there's none left, your body can't handle it anymore. And so he started advising his patients, but then he took a hard look at his own life. And as a doctor, if you know any doctors, they work hard. He was working 80 hours a week every week. And he, he said, I am, I am a case example of the patients that I'm advising to be this way. And he completely changed his life. He started working 40 hours a week, and he wrote a book about the changes it had on him. But one, one example that stuck with me ever since I've seen it is, is Ryan Walter. And it was, it was a Focus on the Family video that I saw on the Miracle Channel. And I wanna pause and say that I love Focus on the Family. I got lots of their stuff at home. They have lots of great stuff. I just think that in this one instance, they didn't get it right. And so Ryan Walter was a, a hockey player. He played for the Canucks and a few other teams for about 15 years. He was good, but he wasn't great. And he retired and they had a thing. He, he's just a busy guy. And so they just had to think, how do you maintain balance and maintain your relationship with Christ when you're so busy? So he went through everything he's doing, um, he had, him and his wife had 5 kids, he was a broadcaster for the Canucks at the time, so he traveled with the team about 50% of the time during the season. He coached 2 of his kids hockey teams, he was writing a book, working on coaching software and did motivational speaking. So he was a busy guy, and they're like, how do you, how do you handle it? And he's like, well, and they had a big beautiful house in the mountains, and, and uh, he says our bedroom's pretty big so we have a sitting area. My wife and I get up in the morning and we have a cup of coffee together. And I see my boys because I coach their hockey team. And, well, my daughter over there, she reads books and she's pretty quiet, so she doesn't need much of my time. And I think that's when I started to be offended. It's like, oh, what, so she's not a squeaky wheel, so she doesn't get time with Dad? That's when I started to be like, I don't really like where this guy is going. And one of his final quotes was, well, I'll sleep when I'm in heaven. So I'm not saying he didn't care about his family. I'm not saying he wasn't saved and he didn't love Jesus. Just that I think he was a perfect example of someone that had too much on his plate. And what he was doing. So then the question is, how do we create margin? And the answer is deceptively simple. We just need to learn to say no. Now, this is not an excuse to be lazy and not do anything. And this doesn't mean that we each don't have a calling and something to accomplish for for the kingdom. A lot of people's busyness keep them so busy they can't do anything for the kingdom and advance the cause of Christ. And I think there is no greater tragedy than that. And so the key is learning to say no to the things we're supposed to say no to and yes to the things we're supposed to say yes to. And that's hard. Finding that balance is almost impossible. And right now, I need to sound the hypocrisy alarm. I don't have balance in my life. And this sermon was very convicting for me to write. I spend way too much time at the office. We've had some staffing issues the last couple years, coupling that with Cold Lake being just a really, really busy town. And you know, my wife and I have had conversations like, you know, it would be nice if I came home for supper every now and again, and family suppers, because that's something that's been very important to us over our life. The thing is, if you can start to create that margin, um, and you start to have that relationship with God, it'll be easier to find that balance. And then something else that has stuck with me, I heard this years and years and years ago, um, just I had the wrong slide up there the whole time, um, And it just has to do with changing our focus. If we can change our focus, we can start to grow closer to God, and out of that, the holiness will come. Because the process of becoming more holy should yield the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So if you think you're making progress, and you find yourself to be less patient, more angry, and more bitter, then it's not working. As we grow closer to God, we should find that love, that joy, that peace, gentleness, self-control that we find in Galatians, that whole verse. That should start to just naturally flow out of us. But the thing is, if you start to make these changes, you have certain ways of thinking and it's really hard to change those ways of thinking, you know, and and something that applies to me is overeating. I love eating. I love eating all the time and I'm eating less lately and I'm, I'm actually stunned at how little food I have to eat versus how much food I want to eat. But you know, if you've been eating lots and you cut back, all you think about is food, right? That's all you want. You're just like, but what's my next meal going to be? And you start vibrating, waiting for your next meal. (laughs) And so the point of me saying that is that if you have a sin issue in your life, and you're trying to deal with that sin issue, then that's all you think about. Okay, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Got to stay away from this. Got to stay away from this. But that's not the right answer, because then the sin issue is present with you all the time. The key is changing your focus. And there's that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I'll save you the pain of me singing it for you. It's, it's about thinking about Jesus, spending time in the word. And so then if you want to change your focus, it becomes about what, how you spend your time, right? What are you watching on TV? What are you watching in the movie theater? Which is especially applicable this weekend with Fifty Shades of Grey hitting the movie theater, trying to make things that are really deviant okay by putting injecting it into the mainstream, right? So what do you choose to introduce into yourself? And originally when I made my middle bullet point there, I would put, I had put, it's hard work. And then I changed it. It's not hard work. It's about changing your focus. It's about making smart decisions with your time. And it doesn't have to be hard work because once you start going closer to Jesus, that just kind of comes out of you naturally. I don't know how else to say it. It just starts to flow through you when you have that time you can spend with Jesus. And Hebrews four, fourteen to sixteen says, Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in the help in the time of need. So Jesus has been through what we're going through. So when we're having a tough time, we can turn to him and say, help me. And he knows, he understands, he has been where we are, right? And so you have to, if you look in uh, Philippians 4, 8, Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, think on those things. And that's the key to changing our focus is thinking on the things that draw us closer to God, not the things that draw us closer to the world. And a little side point that I thought of when I was going through all this is about humility. Um, when people think of holiness, a lot of times they'll think of holier-than-thou, which is the exact opposite of what holiness is. Holier-than-thou people selectively look at people around them and find an attribute that they're better at than that person and compare themselves. So like, oh, I'm better than that person at that, so God must love me more. Ah, uh, there's that person. I'm better than them at that, so God must love me more. And that's, that's completely the wrong attitude. If you are drawing closer to God and in the process of becoming more holy, you should become more humble. Because it ex- you start to realize just how sinful you are. And with that comes humility. And that just because you're sinful, I'm not saying you should sit there and feel bad about yourself. It's just the realization that we are so steeped in sin, sometimes we can't even see it, how bad it is. But as we grow closer to God, then uh, we get that love and we get that affection from Jesus. If I talk too long, the iPad doesn't like it. Uh, So that brings us around to my conclusion. So what I've talked about today is the holiness of God. God is holy and we are not. There's no question about that. And this means that God does not like sin. But the fact is, he loves us so much, he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sin. And that's the key. Yes, God is holy, but he loves us so much that when we sin, Jesus died on the cross for that sin. And he did die for those sins past, present, and future. And that forgiveness is there for us. And the key question that you need to ask yourself this week is, what can you do to create margin? What activities are taking up your time that don't have to take up your time? And I'll be honest with you, the easiest one is probably television. The average person watches television for 10 to 15 hours a week and says they have no time to do anything else. And so even if you cut that down by half, that's five to seven hours that you didn't have before that you can do something useful with. And the second question is, what can you do this week to change your focus? How can you start thinking about Jesus more? And if you can find the answer to question one, the answer to question two becomes a lot easier because if you start to create margin in your life and you start to have time to spend with Jesus, out of that, will, your, your focus will start to change all on its own. So the worst thing that can happen in any sermon is that you hear it and nothing happens. Nothing changes when you go home. It's like, well, that was good. And then you go home and turn the TV on or whatever it is, right? So the key is when you leave here, you got to be thinking, what can I do this week? to create margin in my life. And then following from that, what can I do to change my focus? We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry.